back to Muppets in Space, a Farscape Rewatch podcast on The Incomparable. Hey, tonight we actually made it to Season 2! Yay! So as you'll expect, we'll be covering the first two episodes of Season 2, Mind the Baby and Vitus Mortis. I'm your host, Eric Scott, and joining me as always is my fellow co-host, Jason Johnson. Yeah, uh, don't mind me. I'm just over here trying to work out a rejuvenation ritual. Nothing to see. Uh, thank you. Yeah, I've heard those don't quite go according to plan usually, so I guess you got to be careful with that. Yeah, yeah, we might might lose some outer plating or something. It's no big deal. Yeah, yeah. minor hull breaches here and there. No, no big deal. Nothing to worry about. Yeah, I'm I'm sure there's a plug laying around here somewhere that we'll, we can, we could use. It'll be all right. Yeah, it's just the right size, as always. As always. All right. So let's jump on into the exciting season two, episode one, where hopefully they'll resolve everything that happened at the end of season one. Let's find out. All right. So episode season two, episode one, mind the baby. We open with Zan, Chiana, and Rigel on Moya, and are, they're about to be attacked by a Shei-Yang vessel for some odd reason. Rigel wants a starburst, but Moya can't, and Zan's gone a bit mad or crazy from losing the other people from last episode, when suddenly the Shi-Yangs open fire. After the credits, then we cut to uh, Crichton with Dargo. They're somewhere, some kind of room. Dargo's still unconscious, and apparently the previous scene was a dream that Dargo's having, which I did not quite understand on the first watch. I had to back it up a couple times and try to figure out what was going on there. Dargo suddenly awakens on hearing Crichton's voice and asks him if he's dead. He thought they were, but Crichton tells him, nope. Aaron manages managed to pick them up just in time, of course. Meanwhile, Aaron, in her prowler, communicates with Crace, who's aboard Talon, and mentions an agreement that they have. So that kind of catches you up to what happened last season. Dargo asks Crichton if Moya got away. He says yes, but Crace also made off with Talon. Aaron, at that point, comes in, and Dargo says he's, he's happy to see her. She says she could not find much supplies for them, so Crichton and Dargo suggest they relocate to another asteroid, but Aaron refuses. She says the Prowler will run out of fuel soon, and Scorpius wants Crichton really badly, but she says he won't look forever. Well, actually, yeah, he probably will, since he really wants Crichton's wormhole knowledge in his head, so he probably is not going to go anywhere. Uh, but then she gets mad at them, telling him to stop fighting her and arguing with her, and she storms out. Back on Moya, Roger tells Shanna that he's not hungry, which is surprising. Uh, and when she questions why, because that's never the case, a pilot says that Moya is returning to the asteroid field where she last saw Talon. So that's why Rigel's not hungry. However, he says that they've picked a path so they should re-enter undetected by Scorpius's command carrier. Speaking of which, on the command carrier, Scorpius is having his cooling rod changed, which is really disgusting, and I guess we'll talk about it later. Yeah, I have questions. <laughs> yeah, I... Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that, because how does it all fit? Anyway, we'll, we'll talk later. While that's going on, Lieutenant Rekka comes in and says that they still haven't detected anything in the asteroid field. And apparently we learned that Scorpius let Crichton and Dargo be rescued by Aaron, knowing that Crichton would rather die than go to him, obviously. Uh, but it's Rekka's fault that the Prowler eluded capture. Also, catching up on people, Crace is also trying to stop Talon from powering up, telling him that his mother abandoned him. He continues when Aaron walks in. Surprise. Hi, Mom. Well, not quite, but... And gets Talon to show them that what's upsetting him. It's some random transmissions from Scorpius trying to scare Talon into revealing himself. Which they kind of mentioned to do that last episode, and Crace refused, so now... Here we go. Continuity. Crace tells him to be brave, so Talon powers down. Back on the asteroid, uh, Dargo and Crichton are playing rock, paper, scissors when Aaron returns. She says she doesn't want help in bringing in the supplies. Crichton thinks that she's holding back, which she can't deny to his face. She says that she won't like what she has to say, and reveals that in order to save their lives, she had to make a deal with Crace, because by the time she retrieved them from space, they're about to suffocate. Crace signaled the coordinates for this oxygen atmosphere asteroid that they're on, 
which he could not have found alone or in time. When Moya left, Talon got upset and stopped obeying Chris's commands, so Aaron agreed to help calm Talon down and teach him to obey Chris's orders. She says that Chris's control is better than none at all, or Scorpius getting hold of him. They don't agree with what she says, but Crichton and Dargo are angry because she says she couldn't have let them die. Dargo, I guess to show his appreciation, uh, tongues her unconscious, and they both want to go and get Chris. Uh, they decide who will take Aaron's prowler with a quick round of rock, paper, scissors, which Crichton wins. Back on Moya, Tiana visits Zan, who has rededicated herself to the Delvian Seek. She gives Tiana 30 microts to talk, otherwise she's going back to her meditation. Tiana explains what Moya is doing, but Zan refuses to go talk to the pilot and starts back meditating and ignoring everybody. Aaron tells Dargo that they've killed them all by letting Crichton go to Grace, but Dargo says as a fugitive, Grace's goals are only for himself, which only makes him that much more dangerous. Aboard Talon, Grace communicates with Scorpius, saying that building Aaron's trust is time-consuming, as is building the trust of the gunship, which is not made easier by Scorpius's transmissions. Scorpius says that his report was overdue, he thought he was incapacitated, and tried to retrieve the gunship. He says that Grace can keep the gunship if he delivers Crichton, and Crace tells him to display the patience that he always brags that he possesses. Crace then tells Talon that he heard what Scorpius said. Talon is no longer a concern. He says that's how peacekeepers treat their own, and that he, Talon, and Aaron are alike now. And tells Talon to trust him, when suddenly in the background, Crichton pops up. Crace says that he's unarmed, so Crichton can kill him any time, but he should be warned that Talon considers him a friend. Crace says that neither of them wants to see Talon in Scorpius, Scorpius's hands. Crichton agrees and asks what Crace wants. He says that he wants to escape from Scorpius and to travel even deeper into the uncharted territories to reevaluate his path. I guess, you know, midlife crisis, whatever, I don't know. Crichton says that he doesn't get to keep Talon, so Crace calls him an intruder. Talon pops down a, a couple gun turrets from the ceiling and aims it at Crichton. But Crichton grabs Crace and pulls his gun on him and drags him away. Back on Moya, uh, she's accelerated, having t detected a transmission from a distressed Talon. Tiana and Rigel talk about leaving Moya. <laughs> Surprise. But Tiana then says that Moya didn't abandon them during Zan's trial, so they have to stay. Meanwhile, Scorpius has de detected a Leviathan distress call, so he knows that she's returning, but says that if she joins her offspring in concealment, then they've gained nothing. Moya does finally return to the asteroid field, but before she gets to Talon, a prowler approaches. Tiana and Rigel discuss their coming downfall. <laughs> Pilot announces that it's not sending signals to the command carrier, so Tiana says let it dock. She waits in the docking bay with a gun when Crichton steps out with Crace. Surprise! After quizzing him to ensure it's really Crichton, she jumps, she jumps into his arms in happiness. Crichton goes to see Zan, who's not exactly ecstatic, thinks that it's Crichton's spirit and he's dead, so she just keeps praying and pretty much ignores him. Crichton goes and picks up Dargo and Aaron, but Pilot says that Moya is communicating with Talon and he's about to leave the asteroid field. Scorpius finds out Talon's leaving and Moya's pursuing, so he tells Bracca that on his signal they'll cripple both ships and send commando units over. He wants Crichton alive, but cares for nobody else. Meanwhile, back on Moya, Crichton and Dargo say hi to Rigel, who seizes up. He can't breathe. I guess he's in shock that they're both still alive. Just as he's regaining his breath, Aaron walks in, and he starts seizing up again. <laughs> Apparently they say that's an airway seizure caused by strong emotions that uh, Hynarians have. Aaron asks to speak with Talon, as he's not listening to Moya, but he won't listen to her either. Aaron goes to see Zan, who's still disconnected and trying to pray and ignore everybody around her. Uh, Zan does say eventually that she loves all things, however, or all living things. However, Aaron calls Zan out on her selfish behavior. She tells Zan to look at what's going on and says if she truly loves her, then she'll snap out of it and help them. This helps Zan see sense, and she agrees to help. Back in the holding cell, Crace is talking with Argo, who's watching over him. He says that he can't stay here. Talon needs him. He says that he can keep Talon from the peacekeepers. 
Meanwhile, Bracca tells Scorpius that both Leviathans have increased their speed, so Scorpius orders them to overtake and engage. Everyone rushes to Moya's command center when Talon suddenly opens fire on Moya. He demands that Krace come over to him, because he's confused. He doesn't know what to do about the command carrier. Moya won't evade Talon's fire, so they put up the leftover defense screen from the Zabinian. Remember that thing that we got way back in episode 7 of season 1? PK Tech Girl? Remember that thing? But Talon destroys it in one shot. Yeah. oh well, never mind. Didn't need it anyway. Must not be important. Yeah. <laughs> it was just the whole point of the whole episode, but yeah, who cares? It's gone now. Yeah, that was last season. Yeah, it was last season. It's a whole new season. We don't care. So that was just a warning shot, and Pilot says that one more shot will damage Moya. So Aaron says she'll take Krace to Talon and will stay aboard with him. Crane says that Krace will object, but she says he won't since he's already offered to take her with him. What? Krace, uh, Crichton says that she can't go, but she says there's no other solution. Crichton and Aaron release Krace, who tells her to choose, stay on Moya or come with him. She says that she wants to go with him, and Crichton warns him that if he harms either her or Talon, that he'll hunt him down. Crichton and Aaron once again don't say goodbye and hope that they'll see each other again, and Krace and Aaron leave. They get to Talon, who extends the Hand of Friendship, the greatest honor it can bestow. Uh, and no, it doesn't look exactly like the cable that plugs into the back of your neck in the Matrix movies, but it's pretty close. It's for Krace, who accepts it. And that now gives him a direct neural link into Talon's systems. Krace then says that since he has that, he no longer needs Aaron, and says that he and Talon agree that she should just leave. Aaron kind of disagrees and starts to fight Krace to get the interface off, but Krace eventually knocks her down while Talon's trying to shoot her with his little pop-up turrets. Uh, she eventually tells Talon that she's not the enemy, and Krace says that they know that, but she can't stay aboard anyway. On Moya, they wonder what Talon, why Talon has not tucked in clothes yet for Starburst when Aaron returns. Uh, back on the Grand Carrier, Scorpius is ready to fire when Krace contacts him. Krace says that he resigns as a peacekeeper and says that Crichton is dead by his own hands. Enraged, Scorpius fires, but Talon uh, surprisingly starbursts away. Uh, Moya also then starbursts away as well. Scorpius rather coldly wants Bracca's tactical expert, who said that Talon couldn't possibly be able to starburst for at least a whole arm, brought to him so he can quote-unquote educate him, which probably can't be good. He orders a search for Moya, telling Bracca he knows Crichton is not dead. If Krace had killed him, he would never have revealed to Scorpius, who vows to find his prey. Back on Moya, uh, Dargo's to Cezanne, who says that she cannot abandon them now, so she'll slow down the seek. Meanwhile, Crichton and Aaron are in Pilot's den. She says that she failed, but Pilot says that Talon told Moya he chose Krace of his own volition, and he said he'll contact Moya from time to time and let her know he's okay. Aaron asks Crichton if he, he'll be okay, and Crichton says he'll make mistakes since he's, since he's young, Talon, but he'll be okay. She doesn't think Krace will mistreat him, since he could have killed him at any time, but didn't. She says maybe he really has changed. Crichton says that yes, he's changed, and she's changed, but Krace? Mm, who knows? The end. Alright, some trivia about uh, Mind the Baby. Uh, this is the first episode that the effects were done by Animal Logic in the effects house, who did the visual effects for the rest of the series. I did notice that the uh, Starburst looked a lot better in this episode. Or not better, but different, you know. Yeah, at least Talon's did. That, that looked kind of neat. Yeah. Andrew Prowse states that Luxons have two of everything, suggesting that Dargo could play rock, paper, scissors with himself. Does that mean he has two brains? Anyway, that's kind of weird, but whatever. Uh, this episode was intended to be the second of the season, and it was filmed that way. It was to take place after Reunion, uh, which that name was ultimately changed to Dream a Little Dream and aired as the eighth episode. So that'd be kind of interesting to see how that kind of shakes out as we watch the other episodes to see how they wanted to start the season. That's kind of interesting. We'll get there, but maybe that has something to do with why the, the their, Moyo's being fired on at the beginning of the episode. Hmm, could be. Yeah, hopefully, because that makes more sense than what we saw. But <laughs> yeah. 
And also, by delaying this episode until the second of the season, it gave the production team a bit more time to figure out what really happened in Family Ties. That was the last season one episode. Rockney O'Bannon said, when we designed the, that cliffhanger, we had extremely nominal what-if ideas that we tossed back and forth. We had been focusing more on how much we could ladle on and make Family Ties as spectacular as possible, which it was. Uh, to be honest, there wasn't any substantive conversation about how we resolve it, which I think is fairly common in TV. You'll know what you'll do. You worry about that later after summer vacation. <laughs> yeah, paint the TV into paint the characters into a corner. Let the next writer figure it out. Yeah. There's a lot of communal work on solving the problems of it. The largest portion of that from Ricky Manning, who became the guy who always had to clean up, tie up loose ends, and work out the details of solving cliffhangers. It became his specialty. Uh, the Sci-Fi Channel didn't give too many notes to the production team about season two, and O'Bannon's uh, recalled that the series had evolved by the end of season one to a place where the network was far more open to the notion of multi-arc episodes. The biggest story change that came out of season one was how we designed stories. As we got into season two, they were not just accepting, but openly requesting multi-part episodes. Also in this episode, Dargo's appearance had changed slightly. His face was more tanned, and David Elsey, the makeup artist, makeup team, justified that as being due to Dargo's exposure to space. Something I usually noticed but didn't this time was uh, apparently a puppeteer's hand is clearly visible at the bottom of the screen when the hand of friendship, little sneaky tube thing, is offered to Grace. I didn't catch that. And due to editing in some regions, it wasn't made clear back in A Human Reaction in Season 1 whether Aaron and John actually slept together. And this episode, basically they just come out and say that they did, so that answers that question. Alright, so what did you think of the kickoff to Season 2? I would say it's a good episode. Um, I don't know that it would stand a whole lot on its own, but as a follow-up to Family Ties, am I getting that right? Um, mm-hmm. The last episode, it, you know, I think they had some good resolutions, knowing that they didn't know going in makes it, it from the trivia even makes it a little more interesting to me because, you know, watching it, it felt like they definitely flowed straight through. I'm sure we'll hit some of the beats and, and some of the questions that don't quite make sense, but overall, I mean, as far as enjoyable episodes to watch, I think this one was pretty high. Yeah, because I, th- I think we mentioned that how are they, f- this is supposed to be season, this was episode two, so kind of like what was episode one supposed to be? But then they also had to, I guess, wrap up what happened, so that really should have been episode one. So it's, maybe this is kind of like a hodgepodge of parts of what was episode two, and then answering the cliffhanger questions from the last season, you know, something like that. So I guess I'll be curious when they start going the next couple episodes, if we could kind of maybe see bits that are kind of out of sequence or something, I don't know. We'll yeah. And like you, like you said, that first opening with the Sheyang firing on them, that was like, what is going on? What is this? Where did these guys come from? And then, but at least it was good that they kind of picked up, apart from that, at least they picked up pretty much where season one left off, right? You know, we didn't see John and Dargo getting saved, but we didn't really need to, just that they were, and they weren't back yet on Moya, right? Yeah, I mean, the the John and Dargo part, I was, I was completely good with. You know, sometimes you can just pick up, and you know, we knew they weren't going to get left out there, so... That's fine. The the Cheyenne thing, yeah, um, yeah. Like I said the trivia maybe makes it feel like we we might be missing something, or it might have just been editing out of order. Uh, but that one made no sense. I was glad to hear that I wasn't the only one really confused at the beginning because I was like, "Who are these people? Why are they shooting at them?" And then, you know, I don't even think we get a, a callback to it later. It just is like, yeah, that that was not important. Don't worry about that opening. Yeah, it was all a fever dream from Dargo, I guess. Okay, sure, uh, whatever. I don't know why he'd be dreaming about that, but okay. I guess to make it seem more dramatic than the ending of season one, which was dramatic with them hanging in space and from a flaming moon, but okay, sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's move on. <laughs> yeah. We don't, we don't need a flaming moon. <laughs> yeah. 
but at least it gave them opportunity to have you know more fun that we've come to expect from Farscape with our characters, right? Like, you know, we have, while well, John and Dargo are, are waiting for Aaron to come back with food or water or whatever she was doing, they got to play rock, paper, scissors, which Dargo kind of says isn't logical since rock should beat paper because rock tears paper. And John keeps saying, that's not the point of the game. <laughs> that's not how it works. Yeah, logic, maybe that'd be the, the most important part of rock, paper, scissors. I'm not sure. So. <laughs> yeah, it's just supposed to be to have fun and to waste time. And then, of course, we get some good drama as, you know, Aaron... You know, we see what she's been up to, which apparently is making deals with Crace, uh, because I guess she doesn't want Talon to get corrupted, or I guess for some reason Crace is still hanging around, probably because he can't leave yet, because Talon can't starburst. And then, yeah, Dargo, John, and Aaron kind of have a little a little tiff that uh, kind of brings back the callback that, oh yeah, Luxus can knock people out with this little sedative or poison they have in their tongues. Yeah, so so here's where I, my main problem with this episode, I, it took me a little bit to get past it, was the the plan, right? I, I say plan like Aaron had one. Maybe she didn't. Maybe she was just reacting. But I, I don't understand the thought process and what she was accomplishing with Crace. You know, why not just go kick Crace off of Talon and move on? I, that that whole bit just didn't make any sense to me. Yeah, because it seems like Talon, at least ending of last episode, which I don't know how, how long it's been between now and then. I can't imagine. I guess this is Dark Horse for a couple of days, right, or something. But but yeah, I guess how much pull can Crace have on Talon, right? I mean, he didn't really have much last time. So, I mean, you know, Aaron has more control over Talon. So yeah, like why they didn't, yeah, like what's she trying to do? And, and then also, I guess, putting off getting them maybe to, you know, they could have taken Dargo and, and John to Talon and they all could have been together in one place. And then if Moya showed up, great, everybody can leave. If not, then at least you have a, a Prowler and Talon that they could, you know, run further into asteroid field or something. I, I don't know. Yeah, because obviously there's oxygen on Talon, so they didn't need the asteroid. And like you say, if, if she hadn't reacted immediately and not waited a couple of days for Crace to kind of make friends with Talon, for lack of a better word, you know, it would have been easier and they wouldn't have had the issues later on with, with Talon being friends with Crace. Yeah, and I'm sure Talon being a fully formed Leviathan slash Peacekeeper hybrid would have food, like have food food dispensers or something on board so there'd be food so they would be starving to death crace you know, crace is eating something right so i'm, I'm assuming uh, otherwise it's gonna be a real short trip you know wherever, wherever they go because there's no food <laughs> which i i guess you know aaron doing her her quote-unquote plan i guess she couldn't bring back food cubes or food wafers from talon otherwise be like hey this is leviathan food cubes where'd you get those from oh you know i just found them around you know so but we do see how good, you know, Crichton's, Crichton's plan actually was. It's like if, if, if Aaron would have been more up front and they could have, you know, rationally and calmly, you know, to both both sides, because obviously both sides, you know, kind of went at each other about what happened. But if they would have been a little more cool headed, then they could have maybe done basically what John did, you know, get on board Talon, neutralize Crace, or at least keep him from interfering too much with Talon. And then they all could have possibly gotten away a little more easily than they did. And not to jump at the end, that was, you know, we might not have lost Talon, which they do. So, yeah, I mean, when that happened, or if Crace knew and was just stalling for time, or just that just suddenly, you know, Talon's like, "Hey, I can Starburst now." Oh, really? Hey. Uh, but yeah, let, let's go back to something that we kind of mentioned in the recap. Uh, so, our buddy Scorpius. Uh, so apparently, he's got some kind of cooling rod in his head, which looked really nasty and painful to open and change out, right? <laughs> well, and. That, that, I had two questions from that scene. One is, where's his brain? Yes, and I had that. Yeah. Two, uh, <laughs> two, it looked like he was almost like 
powered off while she was they were swapping the tube because he doesn't react until it's closed. So that makes me question: Are there cybernetics? Is more cybernetics involved than what I thought? I think is what I got from that because again, I know nothing of Scorpius outside of what we've seen in the, the episodes he's been in so far, and you know now I'm thinking more machine than man. I don't know. Yeah, because obviously he's. Um, I think they said he was like a Scarin Sebastian hybrid or something. So yeah, is that both biologically and and is he augmented with yeah, other things too, like either DNA augments or cybernetics or apparently some kind of for some reason cooling thing like does, does he overheat or something i don't yeah I, i'm guessing if you're if you're just a cooling rod then you must be overheating i guess or building up heat that's why you have a cooling rod but why do you have it in your brain and yeah to your point that's like a good couple inches circumference thing going through the middle of his head so yeah like how much brain where <laughs> i don't know but yeah just weird. Yeah, that, that, there's, there's a spatial issue there. At least there would be in a human. I don't know anything about sebations, so. Yeah, or part of his augmentation or, or whatever is maybe that's going through the parts of his brain that aren't really useful or obviously aren't there, or maybe they've moved them somewhere else. I don't know. Squished them up against other parts of his head. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm going off on weird tangents here. I don't know. But I, I do remember that, obviously, from later episodes that since I watched, you know, at some point, you know, past this when I started watching. So I'm sure if they show it and make a big, make, kind of made a little big deal out of it here that, you know, I'm sure we'll see that again at some point. Yeah. My, my main note was they actually succeeded in making him creepier than he already was. So. Yeah. And apparently when he gets really mad, his voice changes to some like deep kind of like Darth Vader-ish, you know, scr- you know scratchy voice kind of thing. So it's interesting. They, they keep doling out a little more as you should to make him, you know, flesh him more out, you know, as a character. And since he's now the big, focal point since yeah, it's kind of dove- that's true yeah which kind of dovetails into my next point speaking of which uh Krace, the former big bad looks like he's still kind of playing every angle possible to stay alive you know you know he's he's making deals with he, i guess he possibly made a deal with scorpius last episode that we didn't really see which is why i guess scorpius let him off the ship to go try to get Crichton. so i guess scorpius still thinks he was working with him sort of so he's trying to play that side and if he turns over John and Talon, he can, I guess, live and, I guess, still be a peacekeeper somewhere. I don't know. But as it turned out, once, I guess, he learns Talon can starburst, he's like, oh, I'm alone. Okay, never mind. I resign. See ya. Yeah, which, you know, I'll give them credit. That's that's a neat twist because usually in, in those situations, you know, that doesn't work out for the, I'm putting quotes around this, bad guy, right? I mean, usually it's very rarely do they survive these kind of things. It's They've been easy to just kill him off and walk away. So now we've got another bad guy question mark out there floating around with a killer starship yeah because i mean probably he realized that scorpius probably would just wind up killing him anyway so but he would go back i guess if he could but i guess since talon could starburst then that kind of changes the the calculus there and yeah i mean to like john's point it's like yeah we, we've all changed but has he really changed and and Dar even said like you know he's basically by himself so he's even more dangerous not really sure what he's gonna be doing but He's got like an armed Leviathan slash Peacekeeper gunship. Yeah. Has he changed or is it just a midlife crisis? So. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's got the hot Ferrari. He's got, he's got the hot red car. You know, he's he's old. He's, you know, going to go out and, I don't know, sow his wild, whatever, oats or whatever version of that they have out there. I don't know. And uh, then we get, I guess, the usual, what we know about Farscape, like, you know, the nice scenes with the rest of the crew. We have the obligatory, hey, things look bad. Let's just bail and leave Moya and Pilot alone. You know, Chiana and Rigel are talking about, and pilots overhearing, and you can see pilots getting a little annoyed, which, of course, rightly so. And 
I guess that would also annoy the audience because it's about the 45th time that <laughs> when the going is tough, at least some of the crew wants to bail, right? Yeah, although to their credit in this situation, they actually talked themselves back out of it. So they didn't require anybody else to, to straighten them out. They kind of worked themselves back around. I was waiting for Pilot to be like, you know, I can hear you guys talking, you know. <laughs> and uh, I guess Zan, for some reason, in the middle of being lost or possibly attacked or found out, decides to just ignore everybody and just focus on meditating to try to continue back on her path to priesthood again that she's given up in the prior episodes. And it takes kind of Aaron calling her out on it and then kind of basically figuratively slapping her around like, you know, snap out of it. We're all in trouble. You can't just kind of sit here and just veg out, so to speak, because she's a plant. Anyway, anyway so, you know, you just can't zone out here. You got to, you know, snap out of it and help us all here. Yeah. I, questions about this one, too. The the beginning when you see her and she's really freaking out and then almost immediately you snap into her in meditation. I, that, that didn't flow smoothly for me to, to kind of understand how we got there. But I did enjoy the scene of Aaron snapping her out of it. Yeah, and it was kind of funny, too, that I guess she's, I guess, in this meditation zone, and she thinks everybody that left the ship is either dead or gone, so she thinks Crichton's just like a spirit talking to her. She's like, oh, so that's nice, it's cute, whatever, and goes back to her, and she's like, okay, hi, you know, but so it has little comedy moments, you know, which is fun. Uh, Speaking of which, uh, when Rigel does see Aaron, John, and Dargo, he kind of gets that, like, like he can't breathe, like shock, his mouth's open, and he's like, you know, (gasps) trying to breathe, and they're like... I think what Crichton said, like, do you need, like, the Hynerian Heimlich maneuver? And he starts trying to, like, you know, <laughs> Heimlich him. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, no, no, that's just what Hynerians do when they're, like, over overly emotionally overwhelmed. They just, you know, seize up or whatever. Yeah, and it does show us that we don't know everything about the crew because you get a little extra on the Hynerian physiology. So that's fun stuff. Yeah, and it shows that, you know, Rigel's not necessarily the cold, greedy, hungry, calculating, conniving kind of guy that he is. Sometimes that you know he does care for them. Sometimes, yeah, something. Yeah. At least in this case, he cares for them. Today, in this episode, and uh, so I guess we learned that uh, Talon. I guess when they said that Talon could accept commands from people without needing to be a, like a pilot, like hardwired in, I guess he can still hardwire people in. So you know, Craze gets a little thing to the back of the neck, uh, which looked kind of painful. But yes, yeah, so I guess which also pay, paved the way for letting Aaron off the hook where it's like, you know, now I'm the only one that can talk to Talon basically. So you're unneeded anymore. Goodbye. Yeah. Which I wasn't sure of how they were going to, I couldn't imagine her being separated from the rest of the crew. So, you know, it was kind of an interesting, how is she going to get back on the ship? So that was neat. One question I had about this, cause I thought it was wireless. Was that your take too? Or is he tethered to Talon directly now? I don't know. I, I, I guess after he got the thing on the back of his neck, then they fought. Right. So I guess it, must not have been hardwired then. I was thinking it was hardwired. Right, but... and he put his jacket back on. Yeah. He was moving around because he so took his just... jacket down. So that must be just a thing to deliver the neural interface to the back of it and, and like, I guess, attach it and drill, uh, drill it in or whatever they did, attach it onto his back of his spine, I guess. So, yeah, I, I was thinking at first it was tied to that umbilical thing, which would be kind of weird because then you kind of can't move around the ship, right? It'd be kind of stupid, but yeah. I'm, it... Yeah, I think, I think it shot it at him, you know, from that umbilical thing. So it was kind of weird, but... Yeah, and like I said before, I, I usually catch those little continuity or like those, you know, like the boob mic shadows or the weird stuff, and I didn't notice the guy's hand, I guess, holding up the snaky umbilical cord thing. So. And uh, like I said, I guess at the end, I agree that, they, you know, Kreis probably won't mistreat Talon, because then otherwise, I guess that'd be kind of defeat the purpose of getting control of him. Don't really remember or know what he's going to do with him. Uh, I guess if he's truly done being a peacekeeper, he's just like Aaron, basically. He's just a rogue 
ex-peacekeeper who I guess the next time they find him they'll try to kill him so I don't know what he's going to do he's, I guess he's, he said he, want, he wants to go further into the uncharted territories I guess to reevaluate himself what that means or what happens who knows but I'm sure probably since he that's a major character and Moya's baby that we'll see them again probably at least sometime this season yeah foreshadowing question mark I think so probably <laughs> that's a big setup not to have them like you said so yeah, because, I mean, you know, half of season one, you know, Moya's pregnant and then finally has the baby. And, oh, it's great. Oh, he's gone. So it's like, yeah, well, that's kind of not good for plot continuity. Not plot continuity, you know, just in general. That kind of would suck if that was like, yeah, yeah all that thing happened season one. Yeah, we don't care anymore. We'll just move on. Right. Speaking of moving on, anything else you would like to discuss about season one or season two, episode one? No, I think we've we've covered that one pretty good. You want me to, to start up on episode two? Yeah, unfortunately, which we'll talk about that later after this recap yeah spoiler alert this one may be shorter than the last one <laughs> very, very very short but we'll see <laughs> season two episode two vetus mortis so we open with zan dargo and Crichton entering a strange building where they're greeted by a guard he quickly retreats and they soon find themselves in a room where they're confronted by a female luxon cool nylon who recognizes dargo as a general he quickly tries to leave because she's an Orican. She tells him not to go and calls him closer. She turns out she's dying, and he says that he will attend her if she deems him worthy. She judges him, but finds him unworthy and throws him back, proclaiming him a fraud. Dargo says that he wants to leave, but Zan tells him he shouldn't. She tells Crichton that Nylon didn't mean to harm Dargo. She's an Orican, which is a holy woman revered by all Luxons. Dargo says that she called him a fraud because he's not a real general even though the markings on him suggest that he is. His general was wounded during the, his last campaign, and to protect him, Dargo took his mark of rank. Crichton and Zan say that Nylum should understand why he did this, and Dargo agrees and goes to see her, where he persuades her to listen. Back on Moya, Chan is doing Dargo's washing. Aaron asks her to do hers, but she refuses, saying that she does Dargo's because she likes Dargo. Meanwhile, Dargo tells Crichton and Zan that he will attend Nylum and he will assist her with the ritual of passing. Crichton is upset because it could kill him, but Dargo says it is the highest honor Luxons know. Zan says that she envies him, because during the ritual he will go partway into the next realm, and then come back. Crichton tries to deter him, but Dargo has made up his mind. While Dargo and Zan return to Moya, Crichton visits Nylum, in hopes that she may have died. That sounds ominous. Crichton says that he's worried that his friend may die, and she says that she can't promise that no harm will come to Dargo, only that she will try to keep him safe. She says that she doesn't want to die and hasn't seen another Luxon for nine cycles. Rigel visits Dargo back on Moya as he wants to sell Nylum some things. China enters and asks Dargo if the ritual might be dangerous, to which Dargo lies and says not in the least. Dargo then returns to Nylum and they begin the ritual as Crichton waits outside. Dargo starts screaming and Crichton tries to go in, but the door is sealed. When he finally does make it in, he pulls out his gun, but Nylum zaps it out of his hand. When Crichton tends to Dargo, they realize that Nylum has somehow regained her youth. Back on Moya, Chyana is stuck in the Amnexus fluids, which froze during the ritual. That's the stuff that she was standing in doing the wash. Pilot informs them that Moya's hydric systems are failing on a number of tiers. Nylum says that she was supposed to die, but on sensing Dargo's power, she did the ritual of renewal instead. She then starts caressing Dargo, and Crichton makes a hasty exit. 
Zahn can't break down the frozen fluid, and Pilot says the areas of Moya's outer skin are deteriorating, but they don't know why. Nala and Dargo finish up, and Nala says that she can do anything now, including help Dargo find his son. They still can't free Shiana as Rigel enters, apparently awoken from his sleep, to find the weak spots in the outer hull, which have started to breach. Rigel says that hull, brushes are, hull breaches are almost unheard of on Leviathans, when suddenly Moya shakes and the hull, from the hull breaches. There's now an internal hull breach, and Rigel is stuck towards the breach, but gets stuck in the hull, plugging it. Uh, Nylam and Dargo come along, and Nylam can supposedly help. But when she tries, Moya shakes again, and the deterioration increases. Uh, since it doesn't work, Nylam then goes off to pray. Dargo goes to Nylam while she meditates, asking if this is something they caused. She says that she didn't know at the time, but the power she sensed during the ritual was actually Moya's, not Dargo's. She says that Moya will recover. Dargo says that Moya is dying, and Nylam wants to go back and get her Tevik scrolls, which she left in her room. And because she is a disease on the ship, she wants to leave. As Aaron and Zan discuss Nylon's involvement, Pilot chimes in and asks to speak with Aaron in private. Pilot tells her that he's dying, but he doesn't know how they can fix it. Moya isn't is apparently feeling the effects of old age. Aaron storms off, saying that she won't let Nylon keep what she has stolen. Aaron goes after Dargo and Nylon and shoots at her. Dargo gets in the way of the blast, but Nylon separates the shot and diverts it around them. She then surrounds Aaron and Crichton with ice and Dargo and gets Dargo to leave with her. Nylon's incantations are not working, so she just wants to get as far away as possible. Dargo will not leave Moya as she is more than just a ship. Nylon says that she can't lose it and she doesn't know what to do. Crichton comes to speak with Dargo and says they're out of time. Crichton says that he doesn't know what Nylon intended, but it is murder. Dargo says that he knows what has to be done and gets upset. Dargo goes to Nylam and she says that she treasures the gifts he gave her. She says she's not afraid anymore and asks Dargo for strength one last time. They then carry out the ritual of passing and Nylam dies in Dargo's arms. Back on Moya, China is free, as is Rigel. Pilot thanks Aaron for her concern and when she asks how long he will live, he says that most Leviathans survive for 300 cycles, but his species can live for over 1,000. Uh, however, when bonded to Leviathans, they, lo- they live no longer than their host. When Moya dies, so will he, and he wouldn't have it any other way. Crichton visits Dargo, who says he wants some time alone, but not yet. Trivia about this episode? Dave Elsley decided that female Luxons wouldn't have beers because they, quote, don't work. Rockney O'Bannon remembered that the episode, quote, didn't fly in the face of anything that was originally planned for Luxons, but everything in that episode was created at that moment. End quote. And I can see how that would be. Uh, both Gigi Edgley and Anthony Simcoe remember looking for anything in the script that would explain the attraction between their characters. And Edgley said, We were trying to find some sort of chemical reaction so the audience would buy that there's an attraction there. It was good to work on the scene where he's down on the planet and something's gone wrong and she picks up on it. Finally, this episode marks the only, only screen appearance of the female Luxon. So... Eric, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so as we kind of alluded to before we started the recap, I at least didn't really care much for this episode. I, I wouldn't say I, I hated it, uh, but <clears throat> I guess I would count it kind of among, so far anyway, like the, the DNA mad scientist category of, of episodes. You know, we, we, we learn you know, a lot of new stuff about the characters, but the main plot, eh, <laughs> just really didn't do anything for me. So... Funny thing, when I when I got done watching this episode, I, I, 
I don't know that I rated it as badly as you did. I, I kind of put it mid-tier. You know, it wasn't terrible. wasn't great. And just kind of felt like maybe coming off of such a great two-parter that our last couple episodes were so high bars that this one was just kind of an average base episode. I'm not sure that that holds up when you start thinking about what we just watched. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when, when you're like halfway through the episode and my mind started wandering to, you know, oh, I have to go out and like finish raking the leaves what's for dinner maybe i can catch the uh wheel of time episode that just dropped tonight then you know you've lost me i mean <laughs> i was already like yeah i get it this is gonna end one way can we just get on with it please because this, this is just not painful but i'm like i know where this is going can we just get there please and, and i think that's an excellent point i think the main problem i that i had with this episode was that there was no for the main plot storyline there was nothing that i didn't see coming you know once you see the ritual and you see that it was that she got rejuvenated, you're like, okay, at first, is Dargo old now? Okay, Dargo's not old now. Okay, so who's old? Oh, it's Moya. We know what's going to happen. There, w- there was no originality or surprise, I think, is what I was looking for there. They, did, they didn't do anything out of, out of the box on this one. Yeah, I mean, if they really wanted to be like a surprise, like, like a twist, then she would have found some way to heal Moya, keep her youth, and leave or... But then, of course, if she knew how to get back to, I guess, whatever Darko's home planet's called, Luxon, Lux, I don't know what he has to say. But anyway, then, then that kind of ruins the whole series now because they know how to get out of the Uncharted Territories. So, yeah, it's like, yeah, she has to give up, give back what she stole and die. So please get on with it so I can get back with my life. <laughs> so, so what you're saying is rather than the other ways they wasted their time, she should have drawn some maps. Yeah, she could have done that too. But, you know, whatever. Or apparently, since she's like as overpowered as Maldus from season one, that that Q-like being that we met back in season one, like you know, bending laser shots, like like Jedi's, and encasing people in ice, and all this other mystical, magical stuff, she could have just implanted the memory, or you know, here's the map, poof, you know, whatever. But it's like she just was like way overpowered after she got rejuvenated, and it just made everything kind of I don't say meaningless, but just it just that took me also out of the episode too. Yeah, this this may be a, a what is it a ship in a bottle type episode where I don't know that anything really mattered. You know, I, I'm not really sure what we got. Yeah, and apparently I don't know what is on this planet that they're on, but that that snake like servant that you know we saw with like two two little scenes and ran away. I hope he's okay. Uh, hopefully he lives there and he just went back to wherever his family and other people are, or he just kind of died out in the wilderness somewhere i don't know like where, where'd he go <laughs> well she was evidently such a pleasure to be around i can't really blame him so <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it was really skittish he didn't like he didn't like anybody so maybe it was his chance to be like oh, never mind she's taken care of now i'm out of here <laughs> goodbye yeah, yeah all right <laughs> all on you suckers <laughs> yeah <laughs> your turn bye-bye but yeah so i mean i guess that's that's the bad um so let's let's focus on the good things because there are some good things in here i mean it's not like i said a a true loss like with the other like even the worst of season one there was good stuff that we learned about with characters that did come back several times over and over again the rest of the season right so i I did think of a couple good little nuggets that um at least was in this story anyway one of which i guess is now that Chiana's part of the regular crew, because she's in the opening credits now, that the writers now know what to do with her and are starting to build her up a little. So they give her more interacting with more of the crew than just Crichton, like before. So, you know, her doing the washing for Dargo, she's like, Aaron's like, hey, why don't you do my wash? She's like, you know, nah, I don't like you. 
and uh, whatever, she, whatever she said, and then when she gets stuck in the thing, and she's like, you know, hey, Aaron, can you help me? She's like, no, why should I? You know, I don't like you either. <laughs> so. Yeah, and, and I'm guessing it'll be should be kind of skittish of doing laundry from now on because yeah, there's always the fun possibility of getting stuck in the washing machine again. Uh, yeah, that I, I guess I guess yeah, being that's or- a good point, and I will say, you know, obvious. Go ahead. No, sorry, I think my headphones are cutting in and out. And that's messing us up. Sorry, you'll have to fix that one. Uh, <laughs> you know, the the trivia did give me a little bit of a possible spoiler, I guess, but it you know, I would I'd even pick up on the building whatever between her and Darga. So that'll be kind of fun to watch for now too. I guess that's what I was going to say about her. Yeah, because she just kind of says that she likes Dargo, and that's kind of it. And then, I, I guess, yeah, when he or when that ritual of renewal happened, somehow she picked up on it somehow, and I don't know, she's acted kind of like anguished or something, and then then got stuck in the washing machine, which is also weird because well, I guess like most things with with organic technology, I guess, why should washing be automatic and you just put stuff in the machine and off it comes, you know, out it comes. You, you, you stand in the stuff and, like, move it around like you're, in, like, in the old 1800s in a stream with a washing board. You know, I don't... <laughs> but, hey, whatever. It's 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 different. Yeah. Slight tangent. I had a flashback to what was the um, Zahn's planet or the planet with the other beings like her that had the the food in the, the water that they were pulling... That, that, that's what I was flashing back to on that. Anyway, yeah. tangent. But I thought that was a funny callback. Rhapsody in Blue, I think, was the episode. Yeah, which, that was which, episode. Wow, I know titles of episodes. This is great. <laughs> I guess we are the experts in Farscape now. I'm not going to sell myself that far. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. And uh, then we get, you know, Rigel kind of doing his old little schemes where he's trying to, I guess, either sell some of Dargo's stuff or sell some of the stuff on the ship to get Dargo to sell to Nylum, which is kind of funny. I'm like, yeah, why not try and make a buck off this whole deal, right? True to character, right? Yeah. At, least, at least there's some consistency. Dargo, uh, Rigel being Rigel. And also, Rigel gets a new use for himself. He's apparently also a plug. Uh, he can seal up a hole breach pretty well. Although I'm kind of confused, because if it's, if it's a hole breach, then that means the hole's exposed. You know, there's a hole in the hole, and it's exposed to space, right? So if half of Rigel is sticking out in space, and the other half is inside, okay, he can still breathe, which he says he's getting harder to because he's getting crushed but you know he's, he's still breathing but the back half of him's out in space which is really cold so can Hanerians also survive in space like Luxons? and you know granted it's not him being fully out there like uh, Dargo's been twice you know with no air and all that stuff that could happen in the vacuum but interesting yeah I, that's exactly how I took it evidently you know we've got, we've got two species Hanerians and Luxons that if they have air they're skin for lack of a better word right they their 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 bodies can survive they just need air so if you can get them a way to get air then they have the ability to survive in space so that's kind of an interesting thing to learn yeah because aaron even mentions that when she was out surveying the hole that you know she saw his backside so apparently yeah it was sticking out in space <laughs> so, okay and i guess the other fun thing we learn we learn more about pilot and his species and leviathans he says that leviathans can live for over 300 years or cycles and that whatever, whatever species pilot is can live for over 1000 which is like wow that's cool but i guess when they're bonded with a leviathan then i guess they are truly bonded you know they they live and breathe together so when moya finally eventually dies then he will too and i guess he's fine with that he says yeah which is you know cool to know i doubt the show will go 300 cycles but you know yeah, and we have no idea how long they've it's been. It's always good to know more about the characters. 
Yeah, and we don't know how long they've been together already by the time we join the series, so... But it's probably not that long, because it sounds like it's probably not too long. No, because I think Moya's supposed to be a relatively young Leviathan, so... Yeah, whatever young means. Like, how long... I guess, how old do you have to be before you can have your own children? Or just kind of like other kinds of animals where they pretty much just immediately they can also start breeding again, or, or you know... They aren't like triples, but they're, they're, they're born pregnant, so, you know, that's a little different, but, you know. Right. But yeah, it's cool to learn more about the, the Leviathan pilot relationship all right that's about the only good stuff i can think of either <laughs> <laughs> all right so, so that was a fun two episodes <laughs> i mean it, it was what it was it was, a, it was a simple plot and a simple resolution and interspersed with moments of other character work that i'm sure we'll re- remember more about that in later seasons and later episodes than we will about what happened as the main plot of this episode because since it said in the notes that this is the only time we see female luxons that we'll never see another one again so <laughs> For lack of a better no. reason, or I don't know why, but there you go. Yep. Moving on. Uh, so, so, so overall, what do you think about season two kicking off? Yeah, I I think that well, we were joking before we started uh, <laughs> recording that you know, yeah, we've had the best and worst episodes of the season so far because we're two in and we've had a good and a bad. Um, yep. The 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 fear for me on this, and and I, I'm I, I'm not going to say this is too negatively because. Yeah, overall, this show has a great track record. But if you consider episode one to be part of season one, right? Because it was part of a two-parter carryover. Then we're not off to a great start on season two because this is the only standalone episode. But like I said, we had some some clunkers in season one. So we'll just hope they pick up the ball and do, do better next time. Yeah. I mean, with 22 episodes a season, you know, not all of them can be winners. And as we've seen from modern day storytelling of like six and eight episode seasons, not all those can be winners either. So at least as a percentage, having a couple clunkers is better than, you know, for a longer season than having a couple clunkers in a really short season. So, but you know, with anything, as we watch more of it, we'll appreciate it more or less, hopefully more, since we're still doing the podcast. So we like it. Hopefully more. That's why we're doing this. That's right. All right. So next time, if you're keeping score at home, we'll be covering episodes three and four episode three entitled taking the stone and episode four crackers don't matter uh i could make a probably a bad joke i don't want to make about that one um but playing our game of what the heck does that mean um yeah they're getting a little more hard to just take a wild guess um taking the stone I'm, I kind of thought like, you know, like romancing the stone. So maybe it's something like a, like a jewel heist or something with a, some kind of valuable jewel or something. Crackers don't matter. Yeah, like I'm not going to make that joke. Um, I don't know. I mean, maybe like food wafer, like they're like, kind of like cracker shaped, maybe some kind of issue with food or something. I, probably not, but I don't know. Yeah. The, the only thing I would have to add, because I've been in Wheel of Time mode lately, is the stone could be a fortress. That, that's not a great analogy to hear so who knows um, yeah that could be I yeah i got nothing on crackers either yeah, <laughs> yeah. <So. laughs> i mean they're, they're cute titles I, I love their titling so i guess we really haven't had to name drop the title yet for a little bit so somehow i don't think they're gonna name drop these words in the next episodes but you know stranger things have happened i don't know i can hear cry i can hear cry and saying something about crackers but yeah yeah maybe and when some kind of quip or something i'm trying to think what late 20th century earth reference that might relate to but i i don't know nothing comes to mind so no i got i got i don't have it yeah (laughs) but hey we'll find out so that's your homework 
and we'll see if our guesses match the episodes next time, which I'm pretty sure they won't. Goodbye.